I went over to Scotland about six weeks ago. We went on a whiskey distillery tour and it was just, it was sad and fantastic. And he was a, like a beautiful man, wonderful man. Subscribe to the Rugby Stream on the OTB Sports app now. Rugby on Off The Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us. So very happy to say, Brent Pope here in the studio. You're very welcome. Hello. Thanks very much. Enjoy coming in. We had an interesting weekend's rugby, I think it's fair to say. Last night at the RDS, Leinster 38, Ulster 29. Uh, was a touch more complicated than it sounds. <laughs> yeah. uh, same for Edinburgh 17, Munster 38 on the Friday night. And then Connacht beat Bennett on 38-19 in Galway yesterday. Let's start with the game at the RDS last night. There was a point where 20 minutes into the game, Keane Healy had just been given a red card. At that stage, Leinster were struggling and they would be 22 points to three down Leinster against Ulster. But 20 minutes into the game, uh, to say it was a turkey is an understatement. There were mistakes, there were penalties, there were knock-ons, there was bad kicking. It didn't look like this was about to be the classic <laughs> it became. It no. was definitely an iffy start. It was a very iffy start and it was very unlinced alike, if you want to coin a sort of cliche because a lot of their key players were making a lot of basic mistakes um, I think there was I think there was a couple of I suppose defining moments in that game Joe. I think obviously the the sending off of uh, Keane Healy which you know he's not a malicious player he was just unlucky in the sense that he got his body in the wrong but although they made the right decision for player safety um, certainly but um then there was John Cooney's misconversion, and I tell you why, because psychologically to be up 24-3 is a three-converted try chase. Mm. Then I think Treadwell uh, turned over a penalty close to their line when they just got out of trouble. I think Lentz had spilled the ball again. Treadwell neck-rolled somebody, went back for the penalty, uh, Leinster scored just before half time. That's a lot of a different conversation at half time for, for uh, Leo Cullen to say, okay, we're chasing down 24 points to three as opposed to 22 points to 10 because the second half then will be about as long as Leinster scored next, yes. they will put the pressure on Ulster. And that's exactly what happened. Leinster scored next. Ulster then went into their shell because there's something psychologically about chasing three scores. You can chase. Three scores gives you a bit more relaxation to play the way Ulster have been playing. Yeah. They went back into their shell in the second half and they played the way that Leinster expected them, gave the ball back to Leinster. Having said that, it was a fantastic second half performance by Leinster to a man. And it just, again, emphasised the strength and depth that, that Leinster have. Yes. Uh, especially with their own bomb squad now. You know, what, what other teams in the world? I was just trying to think any other teams in the world. Maybe a couple in France might be able to bring on a full international front row after you've got a full international front row on the field. It was, it was, I suspect Leo Cullen and Dan McFarland anticipated an arm wrestle because they both had locks at blindside yep. flanker as well. So you had Ryan Baird and Ian Henderson in the six jerseys. Yep. And then, as you said, Leinster went 6-2 split. That's not the Leinster way. No, but so it could well be. Could it be? Well, off the bench, Furlong, Sheehan, Porter, Caelan Doris. Exactly. That is another reason why at twenty two ten this game felt, even felt alive then. It wouldn't with most teams, no, but Leinster it did. You make a really good point because of now it used to be a case in Irish rugby, not so much in Leinster rugby over the last few years, but 
that you know certainly would apply to Munster that teams had a strong 15 on the field but then couldn't go to their bench that was always a problem with Irish rugby yeah. but now you've got now you've got one of the strongest bench for Leinster you know in in the world certainly in Europe but the one thing that said to me was that obviously Leo Cullen is looking to bulk up that pack for the games against that where Leinster have lost. Well, they've struggled. Leinster have always struggled in, in, in Europe against the La Rochelles or the Toulouse or whatever these teams that roll out their big players. Persons, well, yeah. if you look at that pack, I was hugely impressed by Ryan Beard on the on the blind side. I think he might stay. He might have put his hand up to stay in that position because just looking at the stats there, Jenkins had a good game. He, he wasn't such a, a prominent player for Munster. He's come to Leinster, six foot eight, 125 kgs. You put Beard on the blind side for those big matches yeah. at six foot seven hundred and fifteen kgs you put him with Ryan and then you bring Doris back in you're looking at a pretty heavy pack to go up against some of those bigger packs you know I question whether they'll meet a bigger pack you know you get the odd guy like Will Skelton or whatever for La Rochelle is 135 140 kgs but Leinster are now coming into this competition with a fairly big pack and to bring those players off the bench as you say Porter they made a difference like there's not much of a there's a toying cost between the hookers as it is there's a toying cost between some of the props or whatever in these players so it's radiating right through the through the through their uh, team performance. Also, the fact is, if you look at the players that stood up in the second half, Gibson Park didn't have a great no. first half. Second half was fantastic. Yeah. James Lowe came into the game, more fitness. That was about getting him a, a match. Gary Ringrose came into the game. The impact off the bench through Porter, through Sheehan, those guys, that all worked. So in the end, it was a relatively comfortable I comeback. You were switching off with five minutes to go. Yeah. It was done. It was On, done. Um, uh, and this is more of a, a basic point as opposed to anything too complicated. I thought there was almost a going through the motions quality to Leinster's carrying yeah. in the first half. Yeah. They got to kick up the ass at half time because first carries, first few minutes of the second half, it was like night and day the way they were running into Ulster bodies. Why were they running? And even around the corner, all these cliched rugby terms and that Leinster's ball carriers weren't getting over the gain line. Now, that has something to do with Ulster's defence. Ulster's defence in the first half was great. Okay. You know, came off the line, they talk about, but you run out of steam against the team at Leinster. Coming off the line all the time carries its own risk because you miss a first up tackle and the opposition straight away and behind you. But their defence, Ulster was good and it created their play. Now, the tries they got, you'd, you'd question whether they got them if Lentz had been at at, uh, yeah. at full court press. But I mean, at the end of the day, you're quite right. It was a sloppy first half from Leinster. And if they continued that way, 10 minutes into the second half, they would have lost that match. But that's the, that's the I suppose, the makings of a great side, not a good side, a great side, is that, you know, you. I remember playing against Auckland all those years ago, who were probably the top provincial side in the world at that stage. And they could play badly for a first half. In fact, I was in a number of those games where you thought you had the edge on them. Second half, completely different team. Yes, and Lynx, yes. they have that ability to be able to switch on. Some of their playmakers start to come into play and they've got so many of them. You know, if one player doesn't play outstandingly well one week, somebody else will take over that mantle. Uh, but I think it's a... a you even see Jenkins has made that move to Leinster and he's a better player for being in that camp because I think all those players bring the energy and you talked about Porter came on, made a difference straight away in his ball carrying, then followed up by Sheehan, come on. Callahur was one of the promising players in the first half. But to replace somebody like Sheehan, I mean, other teams might just look and say, oh God, who are they bringing on there? You know, yeah, it's, it's, not like, yeah, um, it's not fair. It's not fair. You glance over your left shoulder because when Kylian Mbappe is given oh. the um, 
a player of the tournament and top scorer of the tournament you'll want to remember this goal we're into the 90th minute France are 3-0 up against Poland Mbappe gets the ball in the penalty area and just makes it look so easy to turn onto his right foot and curl one into the top right corner that's his second goal of the game he is just well even I like that and I'm not a football you know people ask me am I, am I tuned in the football no I don't know the key players but I like the I like the world class players like that wow. I mean that's a fantastic finish Mbappe you know. anyone can tell is good uh, we should mention <laughs> Ring Rose because you know what we take yeah. this guy for granted all the time he's such exactly. a Rolls Royce operator he's a Rolls Royce scored two tries captain the side yeah. we know how good he is in defence and uh, in attack maybe he doesn't get the plot as he should at times but he was just um, well, I think just it's international class do you not think he's brilliant uh, no I think it's defense. the opposite he doesn't get the plaudits for his defence oh really uh, I feel like that's the thing people say about him all no, the time no it, it's on the contrary right. you know what they, what they say is that's possibly the weaker part of his game which oh, he's really no. worked on for the last couple of years but he was always a kind of a greyhound type of player I think that's a good description the Rolls Royce it reminds me very much like the great all black Conrad Smith he's a thinker yeah. You see, that's what you want, you know, a bit like Brian O'Driscoll. You want people that can think in a position. You know, you, you need to move away. It's the ideal combination to have uh, as an inside centre and an outside centre. The inside centre fulfils the sort of bludgeoning role, the big guy that gets over the main line, the Bundy Arkey, the Robbie Henshaw, that type of player. And then you mix that in with a kind of silky skills player like Ringrose and you've got the perfect combination, um, for, not only for Lancer rugby, but for world rugby. So, yes, I mean, just those tries he scored, he just did them with ease. But ease, yeah. when you look at how he created them, it wasn't as easy as what people would see on the, on the screen because you're looking, he had to step off both feet and he saw the gap. You know, he saw the gap there, and that's also the mark of a good player. They see the space in front of him when, when others don't. So the first half, Leinster's first half, which was below par and... We've well, about, you know, and even against uh, Glasgow the previous week, the stats wouldn't uh, suggest no. it was it was dominant. And they've had one or two iffy-ish yeah. moments this season. As we head towards the European campaign, really ramping up, does any of that concern you? Is there anything that you look at Leinster and think they're not quite at it this year? Yes, it would slightly concern me because I think of their first. See, Leinster were always about getting out of the blocks fast because that's the way they played their rugby. So they get out of the blocks fast and they'd work on a lead. So teams thought after half time, look, this game is over. You know, it's a bit of respectability. The concern is that, you know, you might have got away with against Ulster. Would you get would you get away with giving Rassing a fourteen point lead and then trying to call them back? No, you may not. Um, and I think what opposition teams would have looked at that Leinster performance and they would take more out of the first half performance than the second. Okay. They'd have looked, look, how do we get at Leinster? And the way you get at them is, is I say, is your defence. And I mean, they need to be... The problem with French rugby is they can be a bit hit and miss with their defence. you know. But teams would have seen that if you get off the line and you knock back Leinster's playmakers behind the gain line, it's a, you know, said something before, it's a relatively simple game. Yeah. If you can keep that up for the whole 80 minutes, that's the difficulty. Uh, that's when you need to bring players off the bench or whatever in, in, in the European game that strengthen that. But uh, defensively, yeah, it's it's hard actually for teams to set about having a game plan to beat Leinster because a few years ago it would have been put out the biggest guys you could get like Saracens or La Rochelle even and, and sort of try to bully Leinster, try to deny them the ball. But if Leinster get... 35 or 40% of position, they're going to win most matches. Yeah. Uh, and also for Irish rugby, 
I mean, that we talk about, I mean, you know, Andy Farrell must be licking his lips at the form of the likes of James Lowe come back in, had a good game considering he's in, had many, the second half form of Gibson Park who hadn't been as good, the form of Van der Flair, all these players are, you know, even the form of Beard, you know, again, I thought, where are they getting these guys from? You know, six foot six or six foot seven guys that carry the ball and, and are good in the line outs. And, and that's, that was the only Achilles heel I could see in Leinster was that, when they had to front up against a, against a huge packs, and we're talking huge packs now, you know. When I first came to Ireland, I was considered a big man playing rugby. Well, look at now. You'd be a nippy scrum half be, at be, Well, that's it. I couldn't <laughs> even make the back line. And is Baird, Baird has the, the athleticism to handle Absolutely. back row as well. He's a, Absolutely. Yeah. And, he, I, you know, he really put up his hand, not just for Leinster, I think for, for, for Irish selection looking to the World Cup, because, you know, he'd be competing with the likes of Henderson to fulfil that role of a kind of a, 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 a sweeper, a player that can play back row and second row. But mm. I think, again, when you're looking at line-out options, when you look at ball-carrying options, he's another big guy uh, with Jenkins as well to put in those games where you might be a bit worried if they come up against a, a massive pack yes. somewhere in France. Well, I guess next week is interesting, Racing in La Havre because the La Defense Arena is hosting a concert it's not just Ed Sheeran taking over Thoman yeah, well it's... that's the way it goes in French rugby <laughs> so we'll get a good look at Leinster next weekend Munster will have Toulouse which will be interesting yeah. so their uh, mini rejuvenation almost since Porky Cueve in a way it started. seems to have added a, a, a sense of reconnection with fans Absolutely. and feel good so they were a key. it's funny how these matches went a similar way they were 12-0 down to Edinburgh yeah. they were 17-7 down looked dead and buried and looked dead and buried. So what changed? A bit. Here's a strange one for you. I, like, I th- you know, this was basically a Scottish team on paper. All the internationals know, back. Yeah, yeah. and they're back three of, of Darcy Graham, Van der Merver, and, and uh, another guy that they rate, uh, Houston or whatever, uh, fullback. Yeah. It was, the, it was the makings of the Scotland team in Edinburgh which not a lot of teams go over there and win. And, I mean, the second half, again, of Munster was really, really positive for Munster. Joey Carberry stood up. You know, that's fantastic news because, you know, he's been searching for that sort of game to get his confidence yes. back. And we've all been searching for it. Even, you know, you the know. try he scored where he put his body yeah. on the line. He yeah. knew he was going to take a hit and he took it. There's almost been a worry about his fragility. Yes, and, absolutely. And his confidence in his body. His confidence. It was great to see him throw himself over the line with a band. Well, when you played for so many seasons and every time you get back on the horse, you get another injury. Yes. He's paranoid about it. He just needs to string three or four games and when he gets his confidence. Okay, in the first half, he made a couple of, I suppose, you know, careless passes. But... The idea was right. They were just trying to get to the outsides on, on, on the likes of Darcy Graham and that. And he, he was guilty of that a couple of times. But overall, he had a very good game. I'm impressed by the um, scrum half. I know he came up from Leinster originally, uh, young Patterson. He just gives them another... Uh, so he came on and, and made a real difference. Um, also, I think that the affords... I can see Munster winning that game next week, actually. I can see. Lose. Yes, I, I think. I think if you bring back in a few of those key players, uh, Anton Frisk has been a real find in the midfield. Yeah, settled um, right in. And and so you know, down in Thorman Park with a bit of grit behind them, a bit of confidence behind them. It's a different looking Munster side when they're confident. And anybody will tell you that going to Thorman Park, you go up there against a team that is confident and wanting to turn things around, which they have to do. Uh, then it's going to be a hard place for 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 Toulouse to go. But, um, and Brent, do you see, because I'm not so sure, certainly um, for most of the Van Graan era, and it's probably 
someone will text in and say they did it about five times but off the top of my head I don't feel like Munster were a team to just throw 38 points on the board the way they were attacking the just the general vibe wasn't mm. uh, suggestive of a team that were able to play attacking rugby are you seeing the Prendergast effect in their attack are they, are they doing things differently now to what they were trying <laughs> last year or the year before which was so South African in style or am I just looking at the scoreboard and, and no? I think you're together? right. I think you're right, but I think that's part of that's part of the way Munster have to go back to in a way to to to, to get those wins. You know, there's a lot about Munster's kind of having to grind out wins, yes. and I think I think the problem stems back a few years actually, and I think it stems back from the impact players that they've brought in over the last few years, especially in the midfield area have been a certain type of player. I mean, South African coaches favour these big kind of players that sort of bust up. Right going back right to Hellsteads, you know, those years, you know, the, the, the likes of Munster players they brought in to fulfil that role. I think in, in Frist they've got a, a bit of a player more in the sort of Gary Ringrose. He's, yes. a, bit of a, he's a bit of a playmaker. And that's what, like, even Fekatawa, for an ex-All Black to come over and not be making the starting team, and he probably won't make it next week, mm. based on form, mm. because he was that type of player that they didn't need. They didn't need another big guy to, to shunt up the middle. What they needed was a, a ring rose. Now, they're not easy to find because sure. there's very few of them in the world, but what they needed as a as a, as a thinking out-half, a creative out-half, uh, not out-half, sorry, centre partnership, and they've come some way along that. But you're quite right about about you just get the feeling, can they play that way? I think they'll have to go back to type against Toulouse, I'd have to say. I mean, you don't take Toulouse on their own game. Keep it tight. Yes, keep yeah. it tight. You know, the mall's working well. Ty Byrne and these guys, you know, great line-out operators, try to dominate the sort of set piece or try to get equality in your set piece and then, you know, plug the corners and just grind out a win. I think rather than... I think Munster would be happy with that. I mean, if you, if you, if you won against Toulouse down there and you had to grind it out then so well, be it. It would mark such a change in mood because honestly, for the first four or five rounds of the URC this year, we were just, along with everyone else, admittedly, berating Munster and it was it's terrible and it was awful. Like So many people over the years of coaching and all this play, I say, look, it's 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 80% of the game is psychological. Well, it, particularly in Munster's case in the initial yeah. weeks because there were simple drop balls and just yeah. bad mistakes which were psychological and it flows through the team and, and, and you know then players get frustrated at each other players just start bitching at each other on the, on the, on the field and that sort of whole malaise can go through a team like that mm. the same applies to, to, to confidence and go to the team you, that that difference in the confidence for months that started that game the other night a bit sort of I suppose treading a bit carefully against Edinburgh you know to the second half when they had to win, they had to go after it, yes. and their game expanded, and that was the reason because they were chasing a, a, a seventeen points at half time. So they knew they had to come out and play. Yeah. They knew just, I suppose, grinding to the corners and getting a couple of scores wasn't going to be enough. So they started to create, and a bit like the South African game where you're right, the revolution started on that day because there was a bunch of young guys who just got self belief as the game went on, mm. and they beat a, a, a team of of, of ex international, and they beat them well. Yeah. You know, and all these players, you know, these young players stood up and they said, okay, there's not that much of a difference between these top teams. Yeah. And that is something that comes into play when they face Toulouse next week. They'll be looking and saying, okay, it's our home patch. You know, we've always performed well there in the in the, in the the Champions Cup, the Heineken Cup before that. You know, why can't we beat a team like Toulouse at home? And, and, they're, and they're right to say that. Be back to Miracle Days and 
you and Hook red faced in the cold <laughs> going I can't I believe think, they did it I again think, uh, God those days take you back to <laughs> talking in a little box up there that was shaking I'm surprised the, you weren't blown away health and safety wouldn't allow it today I no they wouldn't so. allow it today but uh, you know much has changed and you're in, you're the new breed of, of, of pundit where you get a nice comfortable cup of coffee cup of tea, yes cup of, I know cup yeah. of coffee and that but uh, long in those days we used to do games on the on the pitch side you know freezing cold and yeah you know, but, uh, Where do you think the tournament is? Like someone's in, in, in some respects, because there were quite a few pieces in the papers trying to say, well, 28 years now this competition has mm. been running, this European competition. And there was that initial phase of getting the thing off the ground. And Brendan Fanning has a great piece remembering his first European game and it was Leinster against Milan yeah. and there was like nobody there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I think particularly Munster in those yep. days and you and McGurk and yeah. Hook and, you know, the miracles and it started to gather momentum. And then that period where Munster won and then Leinster had their, that golden era, the tournament felt so big oh. and, it, you know, so popular. Yeah. The last seven, eight years, it doesn't feel like no. it's, it's it's blossoming. We have the South African contingent yeah. entering the fray now, but it's hard to know where this tournament is. No, it's a good, it's, it's a really good point. And also the fact is, you see, you know, coming from New Zealand and stuff like that, um, we always looked at matches like that. You took it off the TV for football, you know, when you saw these big banners going around the crowd and, and all that sort of marketability that came with the Heineken Cup in the early days. I mean, I don't think you'll ever find a better atmosphere than that first Munster final in, in Cardiff or yes. whatever. Like, like, everybody was at that match. And it was all the colour and all the pomp and ceremony that went around Heineken Cup. It's such a glamour to it. Such a glamour to it. Sadly, I suppose... The last few years, that's dropped away a wee bit. Mm. And it really comes down to a couple of things, I suppose. Has it become too dominant, a bit like football? Have certain clubs become so dominant that you look at them winning it every year and it takes a bit of the mystique out of it? You know, like, I mean, already Leinster are red-hot favourites. Now they might not win it, but, you know, who's going to who's gonna insert them? It's going to be, obviously, probably a team from France, if, if anybody. Um, so I think people are looking at now and saying, oh, well... They sort of, oh, yeah, Leinster will win that. It's like turning off the TV, as you said, when, you, when you're seeing Leinster. You know, I'm... You mean even, in, particularly in the pool stage? Well, you just season. don't expect... Yeah. Well, not even in, in, in this in this comp- in the ARC at the moment. You, you, you switch over to Leinster matches, and I, I, I'm i guilty, like you, I'm guilty of saying, oh, well, Leinster won't lose. They, they have two scores up and whatever. Yeah. That was what was so intriguing about uh, last night, because we had to go back to the second half. I thought, God, this is not a great dress rehearsal for, for Leo Cullen and his troops, unless they do something in the second half. Mm. And if you'd asked me at halftime of 14 men... I would have said, yeah, there's still a chance at 20. I wouldn't have said at, at, if it was if it was 24 or 3, which it could have been and probably should have been, I wouldn't have probably said that Leinster would have got back. But I said at halftime, the people I was watching, I said, now, that's a change because psychologically Leinster can come back from that scoreline and sure. put a bit of pressure on Ulster. But um, you just expect Leinster to win every time. Yeah. You know. But, uh, but, but, but I agree with you, the Heineken Cup. You know, I don't know what they can do about that because... It's certainly, it's certainly, but the like the Super Rugby in New Zealand or whatever in Australia and South Africa, it's downgraded a bit because yeah. it's the same teams playing the same teams, and you know there's no new players, and you know the same teams are making it through the Crusaders or whatever, making it through year in year out. Don't think and, it's you know, um, a coincidence either that this year the organisers, it's RTE Virgin were showing Champions yeah. Cup games, and now RTE are showing them oh. this time around, but they're going to be given, unlike the Virgin deal. It's going to be an Irish province 
yeah. free to air, free to air once per round. Yeah, I think that's probably a tacit admission on the organisers' part that I need to generate you know, interest and eyeballs. And yeah. if people don't see it, they're not going to follow it as intently. You know, so I think no, that's and I think an there's a lot of rugby on. You know, you know it yourself because you work in that. You work in the uh, the eye of that. You know, there's a lot of rugby on TV now. There's a lot of rugby. You know, yeah. you only got to pick up your. You know, there never used to be. It was the only game in town. So people look forward to the Heineken Sense Cup. Of events, because, yeah. Because now, look, somebody asked me yesterday, they said, how many times might Leinster play Ulster this year? And I, I said, look, I don't know, maybe three or four times if the draw goes, you know, may, maybe more. It used to be we'd look forward to those matches in the new year, which would be all the local derbies, because that's the only time they got to play each other. And they'd, and if you then took that on to, to Europe, where suddenly Leinster had to play Munster in Europe, in the Heineken Cup. I mean, that was huge. Yeah. Now, you know, you might look at these teams and say, okay, well, Leinster's played everybody in France. You know, there's not like there's new teams coming on the block and saying, okay, now the South Africans may have something to say mm. about that. But I don't know that even then, I don't know whether the Heineken Cup going to South Africa, I, 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 it's I think it should be a European tournament. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's my belief. I know what I know what you're saying. I know what the promoters are, are trying to say. They're trying to make it a, you know, and I mean South Africa need to be involved somewhere, obviously for their rugby. But I just think once you take the European, you know, South African teams could be king of Europe, even though they're not a European side. You know, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and no, totally take the point. Just uh, before you go, and I haven't mentioned Connacht, and I should have really. Yeah. They uh, beat Bennett on thirty-eight nineteen, so they're eleventh in the table, nineteen points nine games. Yeah. They've Newcastle. They're in the Challenge Cup. They've had yeah. a tough URC Challenge Cup, even though it's not where they want to be. That could be a real way to ignite a bit of something around Absolutely. Galway. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm I'm so up the rugby in the West. I mean, they 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 put on a great show. I mean, obviously they struggle, you know, on a lot of regards, like a lot of teams, they struggle a bit like some of the Welsh provinces because they they don't get access to the top players. And, you know, and I mean, but I mean, something like this, a good run in, in, in that competition, yeah, you know, because... They're good enough you know, to have a run tough, in this competition, aren't they're they? They're tough to beat in the old sports ground. They yeah. are a tough team to beat and they have some great players and the great energy and they have great coaching staff. Everything is sort of 60 or 70% there. They mm. just need a few Katashe players. They need a few game breakers because once they lose a couple of players like Bundyaki or Mac Hansen or a couple of forwards, they struggle to replace those. Whereas Lencer can replace them just like that. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Connacht have more trouble, a bit like Munster because they don't, the, the player pool doesn't go as deep as we would like, you know, because you look at Le- finances Le- and that Leinster school players. system is insane. You know, look at guys like Penny and that and Reese Ruddock and the, these guys would make first teams anywhere. I, th- I think uh, somebody said that Connors is off to Ulster or something next year. Is he uh, the flanker? But uh, Is he? Are you breaking news here? I don't us? know. I don't know. Somebody was just telling me <laughs> on the street and I said, I wondered about him because I, I, the sad thing about rugby nowadays, Joe, is it's a, it's a, it's a graveyard in a sense of former glory. And you've only got to look at Dan Levy, you know, I mean, what happened to him. I mean, Dan Levy was probably the best number seven, certainly in Europe that season he, he burst on. And, you know, he could have been he could have been a Lions player. He could have been a great player. Unfortunately, you know, as professional sport, whatever, he got an injury and he's out of the game. But you look at guys like Will Connors and that who yeah. burst onto the scene a few years ago. And now people would say, look, he struggled to get into Leinster's first team. 
So these players need to go somewhere else for their own, uh, own, own. Uh, I suppose trajectory of where their career is going. But mm. uh, no, it was just somebody. Somebody said they maybe heard that. But you know, I'm not, I'm not breaking news now because <laughs> he's probably sitting there saying. I'm staying where I am and I'm yeah, happy to stay that, where I am. That comes with a health warning, that one, maybe. Comes, yeah, comes. Someone in the street. I mean, that's journalism the right street, there. But people always say these conspiracy theories to me on the street. They'll say, you know, they'll come up to you in the supermarket and say, oh, did you hear this? Yeah, uh, yeah, did you yeah. hear that Ron O'Gara has now been, you know, somebody's telling me, yesterday, oh, yeah, he's got the English driver. I said, no. I said, no, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm not going to believe that. Uh, Speaking of the English job, actually, before you go. Uh, no, I'm cl- not in for it. Clock against us. So you're ruling yourself out. I'm ruling Let's myself out now. English headline. rugby, Brent Pope is out of it. You know. <laughs> uh, the g- knives are out across the yeah. papers, Sunday papers. They're yeah. all having to go. He has to go is, yeah. the, is the tone. Yeah. Uh, Mike Brown has written a fairly devastating uh, account in the Mail on Sunday, obviously. Yeah. Um, fullback for England for many years so the general not to read out the whole piece verbatim but the general sense is he says speaking from my own experience and hearing from others the English team is an environment of fear players are scared of making mistakes and that's why we're seeing what we're seeing on the pitch he talks about the turnover of staff and there's been a huge turnover and he says in any other business that would be a red flag he says you hear of guys signing non-disclosure agreements when they leave why don't they want them to talk? He asked the question. And he talks about recently, I had sort of missed this, but the former England hockey coach, Danny Kerry, he wanted to leave the job a few days into his job as training coordinator this autumn. Why? Yeah. He wants to know. He's not impressed with the... Well, it's not a happy camp. Uh, he doesn't like the the committee that are looking into it, McGeekin and Phil de Glanville and Jonathan Webb. He says they are legends, but they just haven't been involved in high performance environments in sport for years. They should. He says, you know, guys like Ugo Manya, Nick yeah. Easter, a bit more in touch with the the modern player might have been better. And in effect, he says, look, this. And I'll add another word about those three guys. They're, they're, they're gentlemen of the game, but I think you've got to have a ruthless edge if you're going to be sitting on a committee deciding who your next coach is going to be. You need somebody in there that's prepared to say what people don't want to hear. To say, look, we need to make this change now, and yeah. we've just got to cut the ties. The question that they'll ask themselves and the question that I don't think we can answer because you're probably down one side or the other. Can Eddie Jones, who's got a good World Cup record, you'd have to say with many teams he's worked with, Australia, South Africa, uh, Japan even, who's got a good record, can he turn this English team around to win a World Cup? History says he can. Yes, history says he can. 2018 was bad. Yeah, 2018 was bad. And then they come out with an amazing performance against New Zealand at, at, at the World Cup 2019. Yeah. Dropped away in the final, obviously. But 2018 wasn't this bad, though. That's the worry. No, and I just think he's getting his selections wrong. And it's another thing that people come up in the streets and say, you know, they've got such they've got such playing numbers in the UK. And that's correct. They do have more playing players registered to play rugby at the highest level than anywhere in the world. They just don't have a great talent pool at the moment. I mean, right. and Eddie Jones is being overly loyal to some players, you know, Vulnapola and these guys who are clearly, in my opinion, you know, not the way forward for English rugby. Now they've done their duties and they're 75 or 80 caps and that's fine. But you look at the key positions where they struggle and they're mm. struggling to get another scrum hard. You're thinking all these teams... Got to be one. They, there's got to be one multi-talented scrum half rather than going after these older guys who are well into their 30s. No disrespect to them, but... I think they're somewhere along the line. You know, Smith's a good player. I think somebody like a Gary Ringrose teamed up with Tuolangi, they could do something. But he likes Farrell with Tuolangi. That's not working either. 
you know, it's two of the same type of players. Now, I'm a huge admirer of Farrell as a player. And would you, know, you Farrell in a 10 if he's not in a centre? I just about would, actually, for yeah, the World still. Cup. I think defensively he's strong. He's a good goal kicker. I think Smith brings that that bit of something different in the way that English rugby want to evolve and play, but I don't. they're running out of time, and it's a bit like New Zealand rugby. Went out of the time because other people would say, well, if not, when? You know, are you going to give Eddie Jones another run and then put up your hands after the World Cup when they've crashed out of it and say, it's okay, we should have, anyway. should have, yeah. would have, could have. Yeah. And it's a bit the same with, 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 with Welsh rugby. What do they do? And I think that they may, they may make a more ruthless decision, I think. They may look at Gatlin and say, look, Gatlin can do something. He's proved it with the Lions. He's proved it Wales. On a, on a one-year basis, give the guy the reins and say, look, we just want a good World Cup out of Welsh rugby. So come in, Warren, take over. You know the players. And Welsh rugby is a bit like that, isn't it? They it get, is like that. They suddenly get very confident oh, no, and absolutely. sense of destiny about absolutely. it. Absolutely, and it's the worst place to coach and, and, and play if you're failing Yeah. because everybody will let you know. So, I mean, Wayne Pivik, who I know, and is... And, and as, as, What's as, gone wrong there? I just don't think that the players have the... I think... In a sense, he's lost the dressing room. Possibly, you know. I think that he came. See, he came on on the back of doing so well with the Scarlets and wanting to play a particular brand of rugby where he saw Wales going to, and it worked for a season or two. And people were waxing lyrical and saying, "Look, this guy's come in, and this is a whole change away from the way that Welsh rugby have been playing, and we're we're now playing a full court press." It's a bit like Munster years ago when remember Rob Penny came over yeah. and he tried to change yeah. the game, and I don't think the Welsh were ready for that change, and I don't think they had the players to facilitate that change so he went back to type because the, 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 I suppose the wins that Wales have had over the last couple of years have been playing the Welsh way. Yes, he brought back all the old guards. You know, Warren yeah. Gatlin was, wasn't so much of an innovative coach. He's a great coach at getting the best out of his players and getting the best out of, you talk about Eddie Jones, Warren Gatlin is a master, a bit like Clive Woodward before, of getting the best out of his coaching staff that get him behind him. They believe, you know, in what he's doing. He gives them a simple game plan and just says, look, make this mistake-free and we've got a few players there that can kick goals, and we've got a few players that can open up play, but that's Warren Gatlin's strength. But mm. I don't think it's Wayne Pivak's strength. I think that he needs more talented players. He needs a stronger structure in the Welsh, which he's not going to get in a year. But I just think that the Welsh may be more ruthless and decide, OK, we're defined, we're defined over the next couple of years in our World Cup performance, so we're going to make the change now. You know. Listen, look at us. Sitting pretty here, Ireland. Not even don't even to worry about Andy Farrell. It's all fine. And uh, no, but there's a worry there year. in the creep in the ground. I, not so much in Edinburgh, but my worry is that now I'm sure Andy Farrell doesn't need Brent Pope to tell him. My worry would be Scotland at the World Cup at full strength. I still think they're a dangerous side at with, full strength. With John Cooney thrown in, it would seem. With John well. Cooney thrown in. <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah, yeah. And Will Connors is, is declaring for Scotland. You heard that on the street, did you? I heard that on the street that yeah. uh, Gary Ringrose is declaring for Tonga. But uh, no, it, it's uh, but on a one-off game at a World Cup at full strength now um, with all the South Africans involved or whatever like that. They, you know, you wouldn't run. What I'm saying is you wouldn't want to run the danger of everybody saying out there, look, okay, you know, and even myself, we're looking to a quarterfinal win. What's your reward for getting out of the group? Do you want to come first or second, depending on who you play? Is it France or New Zealand? Yeah. You prefer to play neither, to be honest, because I think they're the team, two probably the two strongest teams, even though New Zealand haven't had such a good year as we know. They'll still be a force at the World Cup. Yeah. But we're forgetting a bit about Scotland, because Scotland only need to knock one of those two out and, you know, 
and that game becomes very, very important. It'd be fine. It'd be fine. No, well, of course, you know. You, you, I just say, you know, just let's no, not be, get I'm, slightly carried away. No, and I, I am joking. And well, look what happened in Japan. To be fair, they've had an okay November, Scotland, and well, Finn Russell seems to have resurrected himself, even though I think Gregor Townsend wants rid of him and just can't seem to shake him. They lack a bit of bulk up front. You know, that that's that would be their Achilles heel. I mean, backline wise, good back three, good centre pairing. Say Russell can either win yeah. or lose matches for you. Cooney at scrum half, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and they lack a bit of they lack a bit of though that that grunt that that Ireland has, and especially in the in the bomb squad or whatever. But no, I just I you know, and Andy Farrell doesn't need to be told that you take each game on its merits in a World Cup. But uh, and I I would fully expect I would fully expect like I did in two thousand nineteen. I did before. I fully expect Ireland to have a really good World Cup. You know, because I think you know. Their rugby's on a different level at the moment. You know, either, I, I get so many people from New Zealand just saying, "Look, they love Irish rugby at the moment." Just yeah. for the players, you, the players you're producing. I mean, these players are world class. I think I did an interview there a while ago when I first came over here. You know, Keith Wood would have been probably the only player, in respect that would have made an All Black squad. And he, he probably wouldn't have even made the first fifteen because Sean Fitzpatrick was there. But if you look at it now, half a dozen players would make it. You're picking a world 15 tomorrow to play. Doris, Van der Fleer, Ring Row, oh, you know. It's an incredible change, isn't it? It really incredible is. Incredible change. So it's, it's not, a, it's, I keep saying, it's not even, when I go back to New Zealand, some of the rib I get, they told me to, <laughs> I never have a quick argument with a few All Blacks. I was watching their second match uh, and doing a corporate do, and I was watching it with a number of All Blacks or whatever, um, and they were given out uh, large to Johnny Sexton for taking too long to, to, to take the kick. And I turned around to one of the All Blacks who remained nameless and said, geez, I said, you know, wouldn't New Zealand be doing it, you know? And they told me to piss off back to Ireland. That was <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I'm not even, I'm not even regarded as in New Zealand. But uh, I'm a huge supporter of Irish rugby and I think, you know, you can be wonderfully proud of where Irish rugby's at. You yeah, know? yeah. I mean, 20 years ago, we wouldn't have seen it coming. So it's great. Oh, and back that up with the Leinster or Munster, yeah. or, you know, Ulster, but good, good... Um, Group in the in Champions League and then Connacht doing well, you know, and uh, and hopefully no injuries and Johnny Sexton is kept in cotton wool because I think that first half performance in Leinster show the other night that that's when they need Johnny. He'd have been he'd have been a player that would have just yeah, moved them around, said yeah. don't panic guys, which they didn't. Uh, he would just said we'll get back into this game. This is how we do it. So yeah, wrap him up. As Look, right. it's been great to talk. I'm sorry, I probably. Not at all. On, no, I'm I, sorry we're out of time. I'm sorry we're out of time. So, uh, pleasure. Great to have you in. Brent Pope. Yeah. Lovely to have you in. Our rugby coverage is with thanks to Vodafone. Rugby on Off the Ball. With Vodafone, main sponsor of the Irish rugby team. We all belong to the team of us.